there is no feminism if all women are not included in this. And also getting the support of men and understanding how feminism benefits them as well. We're sponsored this week by Decode DC, the podcast that gives you an honest look into how politics affects your life. If you're a regular listener of Best of the Left, you've probably already heard the show and their great host, Jimmy Williams. He's worked in politics, he's worked as a lobbyist, so he knows his stuff inside and out, and now he's taking all of that experience and explaining how things really work inside and outside of Washington. Deco DC is smart, surprising, and challenges the conventional wisdom. They even did an episode exploring the rise of the indivisible movement of the left rising up to oppose the Trump agenda. So check it out. I do, and I think you'll love it. That's Deco DC, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Democracy Now!, The Real News Network, Backtalk from Bitch Media, YouTuber Jay Smooth, the Horcast and Talk Poverty Radio. In one of the largest days of protest in U.S. history, millions took to the streets Saturday, one day after the inauguration of Donald Trump. The largest protest was the Women's March in Washington, where it's believed more than 500,000 people packed the streets. According to, according to crowd scientists at Manchester Metropolitan University in Britain, the crowd was roughly three times the size of the audience at Donald Trump's inauguration a day earlier. Women-led marches took place in over 600 locations spread across seven continents, including Antarctica. In addition to Washington, D.C., massive protests took place in Boston, Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles, Madison, Wisconsin, New York, Oakland, Portland, Oregon, St. Paul, San Francisco, Montpelier, Vermont, and Seattle. According to one count, as many as 4.6 million people took part in the Global Day of Action. We begin today's show with highlights from the speeches at the Women's March on Washington. America Pereira. <laughs> and I am deeply honored to march with you today as the chair of the artist table. As a woman and as a proud first generation American born to Honduran immigrants. It's been a heart-rending time to be both a woman and an immigrant in this country. Our dignity, our character, our rights have all been under attack. And a platform of hate and division assumed power yesterday. But the president is not America. His cabinet is not America. Congress is not America. We are America. And we are here to stay. We march today for our families and our neighbors, for our future, for the causes we claim and for the causes that claim us. We march today for the moral core of this nation, against which our new president is waging a war. He would 
us to forget the words, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And instead, take up a credo of hate, fear, and suspicion of one another. But we are gathered here and across the country and around the world today to say, Mr. Trump, we refuse. We reject the demonization of our Muslim brothers and sisters. We demand an end to the systemic murder and incarceration of our black brothers and sisters. We will not give up our right to safe and legal abortions. We will not ask our LGBTQ families to go backwards. We will not go from being a nation of immigrants to a nation of ignorance. We won't build walls and we won't see the worst in each other. And we will not turn our backs on the more than 750,000 young immigrants in this country currently protected by DACA. Don't accept that what's happening is just a case of all the suffering. Or you'll find that you're joining in the turning away. It's a sin that somehow Light is changing to shadow And casting its shroud over all we have known All the world how the ranks have grown Driven on by a heart of stone This is Tia Graham reporting for The Real News Network in Baltimore City, Maryland. Over one million women have registered to participate in a women's march to show their support for diversity, inclusion, equality, and respect. Today here in Baltimore, peaceful protesters have gathered to demonstrate and show their support for these principles and to show that women's rights are human rights. Tell me why you're here today. I'm here today because I care about the rights of women and I don't think it's okay. I honestly don't think it's okay that Donald Trump can do those things. So I want to end sexism and racism. It, it matters to me that so many people want to stand up to bullies like Donald Trump. I'm not just standing here for myself or for my grandmother, my mother, my aunts, the women that have fought for me. But now it's my turn to show that my, my three children that I fight for them and that I'll stand for them and make sure that their lives matter. Black lives do matter. Everybody's lives matter. But before that, my children matter. They are who we are leaving this world to. Are you surprised after having our first black president that we have someone, Donald Trump, who is so divisive and has received such strong white support? In a way, no. 
Because hate right has now. always found its way to come out. It may sit back in a corner. It may be quiet for a moment. But I just to live in a world where we actually look at it and say that we know that hate is real. And with having our first black president, to see the reactions that people had to a black man being in the White House, to a black family being in the White House, to hearing the, the racist and the horrible comments about their children, about the first lady, about the president himself, being in the White House, turning the White House black, not looking at it in a, in a, in a prosperous way for our people. And even to look at it and say that, you know, there are a lot of black people that feel like President Obama didn't do much for black people. What he did do was give my son the opportunity to know that he can be president. Gave my daughters the opportunity to know that they can be in higher positions of authority. I think it's important to show um, solidarity, especially in the divisive times in which we currently live. Um, you know, women being objectified, disrespected. You know, when we talk about racial, political, and economic equality in this country, I, I think it's important for us not to be silenced. So it's a, a, a show of, of unity. Are you surprised to see how many people are out here today? No, I'm not. I, I'm not. I, and what I've said, you know, when I addressed the crowd was that this is what Americans do. We rise up in the face of hatred. And we'll always be in a position where love is always going to trump hate. I came out today because I speechless that Donald Trump is the president. I can barely say it without crying. I think he's hateful. Um, I'm here for women. I'm here for disabled people. I'm here for anyone that isn't a fascist, racist. Now I'm not going to curse. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm out here today. And there are people out, larger crowds than this, all over the world. Even in Malawi and Kenya, and Paris and London and Rome and Sydney, Australia, the whole world is on this. And most of my friends are in D.C., but this makes it difficult. So I came to this one. We, we just want to have our voices heard. We want to make sure that all people are treated fairly and equally. So that's why we're here today. You know, we tried to go to D.C. first. We were on our way. And the metro stations were so jammed we couldn't get there, and we're so glad we were able to come here. You came all the way from Florida? I did. I did. Unable to get to the D.C. demonstration. Um, I feel like I'm back to the marches that we did with Gloria Steinman. I feel like we're just going backwards, not just for women, but for everyone. We've accomplished so much in the past eight years, it's frightening to me. And I think we have to all be willing to stand up for what we believe in. Healthcare matters, isn't it? Healthcare matters. You know what? Healthcare Actually, matters. not certain, but I'm going to double check that. Matters. I think it is. Healthcare matters. I don't think Congress should have anything to do with women's bodies. I don't understand why they can regulate what women's bodies do, but they don't regulate men and their Viagra. but we got at the this train station, the trains weren't coming. We were waiting in line for almost three hours to go into Washington. 
and decided to join the march here. Because the important thing is to be here and out in support of women's rights, American rights, black rights, gay rights, because the, the current administration is not there. Best sign in the place is you can't comb over racism. If you could speak to our new president, you could have him hear your voice, what would you tell him? Resign. <laughs> hey. well, that, that was very succinct. No point meeting around the bush. He is ill-equipped to serve that office. We're for uh, change in the country, obviously. And we've seen Donald Trump roil the waters. And it's time. Uh, I've never seen so many people so involved. I bet you if you went around here today, this is the first demonstration a lot of these people have been to in years. So I think it's going to be one of the best times for the country. Because I think people are responding, as they should, to him and his people. It's amazing to hear such an optimistic view. So you're saying that Donald Trump is actually going to bring out the best in America. He's provoked responses from people who have been coasting along for years. And so I think it's really great. I don't think he's great, but I think this is going to be a very, very interesting period of time, and I'm excited to participate in it. Trump doesn't represent us. Isn't that true? I mean, he, he everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He's, you know, campaign promises. I don't know why anybody's surprised, like, at the, you know, the first day he says, uh, you know, oh, I'm not doing that. Of course, I'm not doing it because I lied the whole time. I lie, 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 lie. I think the most important reason is to show our lawmakers that women stand strong, they stand with each other, and they will not tolerate the, the horrible nastiness that Trump is spewing, and we will not tolerate his horrible cabinet picks. And that's the main reason we're here, and also that we will not be grabbed Fire pussy hats. I mean, I'm here for everybody. I'm here for everybody who's worried, concerned about the president of the United States. I don't hate Donald Trump. I don't know Donald Trump. I don't think anybody really does. But I'm, I'm worried for the country. You know, if he wants to do and say what he wants to do and be a businessman, there's always going to be people that are, you know, rotten or say mean things. And he has the right to do that. But he's the president of the United States of America. And he's in a position where his actions will have consequences for everyone on the planet. Um, and that scares me. Because I think they want us to put an end to racism and sexism. And they want all women to have equal rights. Because no matter what your gender is, you're still human. And the Constitution goes to you as well. I think that's a wonderful thing that you just said. May I get your name? Sabanye Marshall. So you're here supporting your mom in the Women's March. Yeah. That's terrific. We're Thank trying you. to make our country better, aren't we? Trying to make our country better. And trying to unelect Trump. I'm not sure if that's a word, but... It's not a make America great again. It's already great. the march you know um is is a good cathartic act 
Um, but I'm interested to see uh, what material change can come out of um, networks that were built because of the march. Um, like if if this will sustain, and if and if these and if the people who showed up in Washington or the people who showed up in other marches across the country um, are willing to show up for things that don't center uh, just gender, don't center pink hats. Um, so that's something that I think you know. I'm trying to be optimistic here <laughs> and, and to think that like maybe something greater will come of it. But I definitely also identify with like people feeling burned, you know, by like not feeling true solidarity. Um, even though there was like a little rally here in Oxford, like I didn't feel comfortable showing up because I, I didn't want to show up to a rally full of white folks and mostly white women um, because you know, there's a part of me that 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 definitely uh, reflects like J Jamila's piece, um, where I don't feel solidarity with white women, and and I think it's because I, ha I haven't felt the reciprocal. Like I haven't felt that like um, white women um, have showed up for other causes that don't center um, their white womenness. So I think that it's just something that we need to keep like on the tip of our minds when we're talking about a movement movements that might stem out of the march. Yeah, there's this photo going around of someone holding a sign. I don't know if it was in D.C. or a sister march, but a, a sign that says, so I'll see all of you nice white women at the next Black Lives Matter march, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that really encapsulates what you're talking about, um, that let's be hopeful that uh, this has been galvanizing and is going to bring more and more people to other issues that affect women that which are not just you know pink hats and you know issues about immigration reform mass incarceration criminal justice reform that all of these are feminist issues and you have to have a, you know you have to put your foot in all of those in all of those fights if you're gonna say you know if you're gonna really show up for women right and uh, i've read some stories about um like women of color are Black women in particular who held up signs that said like, uh, like, you know, white women did this because, you know, 53% of white women voted for Trump or, um, that called out, you know, mostly calling out that like, um, white feminism supports white supremacy. Like, let's be clear about that. And that while they were marching, they got like dirty looks, um, from other marchers or like they got uh, very pointed questions about like, why are you doing this? Like this, this march isn't about that. Um, so that really points to the problem of like a movement like this is that like, uh, what do you mean it's not about that? Like, I think that fundamentally, um, this really points out to the fact that like, there needs to be a basic understanding that all of our oppressions are intertwined. Like, white women will never be free if, like, uh, people of color don't achieve that same freedom or, like, if immigrants don't achieve that, achieve that same freedom. So, you know, w without recognizing that, uh, that, like, we, all of our struggles are intertwined, um, then, like, what's more divisive? You know, like, uh, is it divisive to call out that, like, like I'm suffering, like, um, a different kind of oppression than you? Uh, or, or is it divisive to, to say that, like, you shouldn't talk about that? Uh, I think that, like, we just, it just needs to be more, I think, um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just tired. <laughs> I think that, that's what it comes yeah. down to, like, my, I'm so tired and, and, you know, there have been, like, really snarky critiques of the march, like, okay, you guys got your photo op, now what? You know, like, in, in Portland, Oregon in particular, 
you know, there was a lot of um, controversy around the march because it was originally organized by uh, these white women from Eastern Oregon who were actively discouraging people um, showing up uh, from carrying signs that were deemed too political. Like that was that was a real thing that happened, and a lot of like people um, spoke up about this. Like you know, this isn't right. This is this isn't what the march should be like. And um, some people of color showed up to take over leadership of the march. Um, but it really speaks to like how folks think about like their own oppression and how it doesn't connect to other people's oppressions. And and but I think that the march in Portland or like the organizing of it isn't unique to Portland, and it just speaks volumes to like like how much work needs to be done um and i think i was trying to go somewhere with that point but now i totally forgot <laughs> my brain is so warped um i think that like you know it but even with people of color at the helm there were still a lot of folks who went to the march and felt unsafe and i think that this speaks volume to it oh this is the point i was getting at at the portland march you know there were pictures of white women uh taking selfies with police officers and and like looking gleefully uh, and very happy, happy about it and being like, look at these police officers here to protect us. And I think that like it really speaks to like a lack of understanding about how um, like police officers in America, um, you know, in state like state, state sanctioned violence against mostly brown and black bodies. Today's episode is sponsored by Blue Apron, who delivers fresh, perfectly portioned ingredients for great meals right to your door for less than the cost of eating out. Now, it can be easy to lose track of all of the benefits of cooking and eating together as a family. We get lulled into this wrong-headed idea that happiness and satisfaction comes from things being easy. The easier, the better. So we resort to things like fast food and restaurants. But in fact, humans thrive on working together and accomplishing a shared goal. And so for a busy family, that can can be as easy as making the time to prepare and serve Blue Apron's gourmet recipes. Then you're not just eating, you're purposefully working to build strong family bonds in the process. And Blue Apron makes it just a bit easier without taking away the sense of accomplishment. If you're ready to try it out yourself, just a couple of the meals they're serving this month are spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and fur cake, and mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com best. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com best. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We return now to highlights from Saturday's massive women's march on Washington. This is feminist icon Gloria Steinem. I'm not trying to deny the danger that this day initiates. Trump and his handlers have found a fox for every chicken coop in Washington, and a Twitter finger must not become a trigger finger. Some very experienced doctors of the American Psychiatric Association have publicly written to warn us that, and I quote, his widely reported symptoms of mental instability, including grandiosity, 
impulsivity, hypersensitivity to slights or criticisms, and an apparent inability to distinguish between fantasy and reality lead us to question his fitness for the immense responsibilities of the office, unquote. This was on full display in his inaugural address yesterday. Everything that happened before him was a disaster. And everything that he would do would be fantastic, the best ever, miracles, and all the superlatives. He also said he was with the people. Indeed, he was the people. I, to paraphrase a famous quote, I just want to say, I have met the people and you are not them. <laughs> My name is Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd is here. I am a feminist. And I want to say hello to Independence Avenue in the back, all the way down to 17th Street. Wow. And I bring you words from Nina Donovan a 19-year-old in Middle Tennessee, and she has given me the privilege of telling you what she has to say. I am a nasty woman. I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. A man whose words are a diss track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I'm not as nasty as Confederate flags being tattooed across my city. Maybe the South actually is gonna rise again. Maybe for some, it never really fell. Blacks are still in shackles and graves just for being black. Slavery has been reinterpreted as the prison system in front of people who see melanin as animal skin. I am not as nasty as a swastika painted on a pride flag. And I didn't know devils could be resurrected, but I feel Hitler in these streets a mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet electroconversion therapy, the new gas chamber shaming the gay out of America, turning rainbows into suicide. Notes, I am not as nasty as racism, fraud, conflict of interest, homophobia, sexual assault, transphobia, white supremacy, Supremacy, misogyny, ignorance, white privilege. It is our honor and privilege to bring the next speaker to the stage, the one and only author and activist, Janet Ma. I stand here today as the daughter of a native Hawaiian woman and a black veteran from Texas. I stand here as the first person in my family to go to college. I stand here as someone who has written herself onto this stage to unapologetically proclaim that I am a trans woman writer, activist, revolutionary of color.
And I stand here today because of the work of my forebears, from Sojourner to Sylvia, from Ella to Audrey, from Harriet to Marsha. I stand here today, most of all, because I am my sister's keeper. My sisters and siblings are being beaten and brutalized, neglected and invisibilized, extinguished and exiled. My sisters and siblings have been pushed out of hostile homes and intolerant schools. My sisters and siblings have been forced into detention facilities and prisons and deeper into poverty. And I hold these harsh truths close. They enrage me and fuel me, but I cannot survive on righteous anger alone. Today, by being here, it is my commitment to getting us free that keeps me marching. Our approach to freedom need not be identical, but it must be intersectional and inclusive. It is an absolute honor to introduce our friend, Cecile Richards. We're here today to thank generations of organizers and troublemakers and hellraisers who formed secret sisterhoods, who opened Planned Parenthood health centers in their communities and demanded the right to control their own bodies. And today we're here to deliver a message we're not going to take this lying down. And we will not go back. For the majority of people in this country, Planned Parenthood is not the problem. We're the solution. We've been part of the American country, the fabric of America for 100 years. And my pledge today is our doors stay open. Now is the time for us to link arms together for the right of working women to earn a living wage, for the right of immigrant families to live without fear, for the right of mothers everywhere to raise families, uh, with, to, to raise families in safe communities with clean air and clean drinking water, including in Flint, Michigan. And we're here for the right to live openly no matter who you are or who you love no matter what. And you better believe we're here to fight for reproductive rights, including access to safe and legal abortion. This is Tamika Mallory, co-chair of the Women's March on Washington. Today is not a concert. It is not a parade and it is not a party. Today is an act of resistance. Now, some of you came here to protest one man. I didn't come here for that. I came here to address those of you who say you are of good conscience. To those of you who experience a feeling of being powerless, disparaged, victimized, antagonized, threatened, and abused. To those of you who for the first time felt the pain that my people have felt since they were brought here with chains shackled on our legs. Today I say to you, welcome to my world. Welcome to our world. 
I stand here as a black woman, the descendant of slaves. My ancestors literally nursed our slave masters. Through the blood and tears of my people, we built this country. America cannot be great without me, you, and all of us who are here today. Today you may be feeling aggrieved, but know that this country has been hostile to its people for a long time. For some of you it is new, for some of us it is not so new at all. Today I am marching for black and brown lives, for Sandra Bland, for Philando Castile, for Tamir Rice, for Ayanna Stanley Jones, for Eric Garner, for Michael Brown, for Trayvon Martin, and for those nine people who were shot at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. We have a chance, brothers and sisters, to get this thing right. We can do it if women rise up and take this nation back. It is my honor and my great pleasure to introduce one of my personal heroes, the immigrant rights activist, incredible, inspiring Sophie Cruz and her family. We are here together making a chain of love to protect our families. Let us fight with love, faith, and courage so that our families will not be destroyed. I also want to tell the children not to be afraid, because we are not alone. There are still many people that have their hearts filled with love and tenders to snuggle in this path of life. Let's keep together and fight for the rights. God is with us. I have the distinct honor and pleasure of welcoming to the stage the incomparable Angela Davis. Over the next months and years, we will be called upon to intensify our demands for social justice, to become more militant in our defense of vulnerable populations. Those who still defend the supremacy of white male heteropatriarchy had better watch out. The next 1,459 days of the Trump administration will be 1,459 days of resistance. Resistance on the ground, resistance in the classrooms, resistance on the job, resistance in our art and in our music. This is just the beginning 
And in the words of the inimitable Ella Baker, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Thank you. We have another very, very special guest. It is our honor to introduce Janelle Monet. Hello, future. stand here as a woman, an African-American woman. My grandmother was a sharecropper. She picked cotton in Aberdeen, Mississippi. My mother was a janitor, and I am a descendant of them, and I am here in their honor to help us move forward and fem the future. I just want to say, I want to remind you that it was woman that gave you Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was woman that gave you Malcolm X. And according to the Bible, it was a woman that gave you Jesus. Don't you ever forget it. And we must remind them, those who are abusing their power, that is what I am here today to march against, the abuse of power. I want to say to the LGBTQ community, my fellow brothers and sisters, to immigrants, my fellow brothers and sisters, to women, continue to embrace the things that make you unique, even if it makes others uncomfortable. You are enough. And whenever you feel in doubt, whenever you want to give up, you must always remember to choose freedom over fear. Ladies and ladies, introducing Madonna. Welcome to the revolution of love to the rebellion, to our refusal as women to accept this new age of tyranny, where not just women are in danger, but all marginalized people, where being uniquely different right now might truly be considered a crime. It took this horrific moment of darkness to wake us the up. It seems, it seems as though we had all slipped into a false sense of comfort, that justice would prevail and that good would win in the end. Well, good did not win this election, but good will win in the end. So what today means is that we are far from the end. Today marks the beginning, the beginning 
of our story. The revolution starts here. The fight for the right to be free, to be who we are, to be equal. Let's march together through this darkness and with each step know that we are not afraid. That we are not alone. That we will not back down. That there is power in our unity and that no opposing force stands a chance in the face of true solidarity. We have a Grammy Award winning sister in the house, my dear sister and friend, Alicia Keys. Tamika. Ladies and gentlemen, are we here? the huts of history's shame I rise up from a past that is rooted in pain I rise I'm a black ocean leaping and wide welling and swelling I bear in the tide leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise into a daybreak that is wondrously clear I rise bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave I am the dream and the hope of the slave I Rise. That's Alicia Keys speaking at the Women's March on Washington Saturday. While the protest was one of the largest in Washington's history, much of the conservative media focused on a single line said by Madonna during her speech, quote, I've thought an awful lot of blowing up the White House, but I know that this won't change anything, she said. More than 500,000 people took part in the Women's March in Washington. According to crowd scientists at Manchester Metropolitan University in Britain, the crowd was roughly three times the size of the audience at President Trump's inauguration on Friday. Bigger is better, as anyone can see. Bigger is better, well, I think we all agree. Bigger is better in each and every way. Bigger is better in the good old USA. Bigger is better in the good old USA. Bigger is better in the good old USA. Okay, people, this is week one. On Friday, we watched a small and petty man give a small and petty speech to a half-empty field before taking the seat of power that even he knows he's not worthy of. The seat of power he will abuse all the more because he knows he's not worthy of. And then on Saturday, we saw that same field filled to capacity by the massive, historic Women's March. And I know that field was full to capacity because I'm one of the many thousands of people who spent all day in D.C. and never came anywhere 
nowhere near that field. I was in one of the huge crowds stuck on some side street with nobody, including the cops knowing where we were supposed to go and no way to connect with the outside world because the crowd was too big to get cell service, which made things interesting because usually nowadays, whenever we take part in a major event, we experience it from the inside and the outside at the same time. We're present for the experience while also engaging in real time with the world's reaction to the experience. And then that informs how we inhabit the experience. But on this day, we couldn't connect to that double, triple consciousness. So we had to just be there in the moment on this random street. We all had to commit to just showing up and being fully present where we were and having faith that our efforts here were adding up to something more than we could see, which is exactly what we're gonna have to do in this day-to-day -day struggle that lies before us. So this may have been the perfect way to start. Message. The crowd was predominantly white and I was aware of that to varying degrees over the course of the day. So I especially appreciated all the women of color who showed up and represented, made sure that the elephants in the room were not the elephants in the room, as well as those who shared their reasons for staying home, who shared their critical feedback after they returned. And look, I don't wanna sit here as a man proclaiming what everyone should learn from the Women's March, but I'm just saying women of color and transgender voices, whatever success anyone thinks this march was, it is a listening to those voices success story. It was not only listening to, but centering those voices. It was the leadership of Linda Sarsour, Carmen Perez, Tamika Mallory, Janet Mock, one of my heroes, Toshi Regan as the musical director. I think you could say it was more thoroughly, consistently representative on stage than it was in the crowd. And part of the work from here on out is continuing to bridge that gap. So I just hope people keep on listening to those voices, showing up for them when they call more often than in the past and that you don't revert back to shying away from those voices because you're confusing unity with comfort. Because it is clear after this first week that there is not about to be no type of comfort. It feels like every day has been one apocalyptic blow after another. And as much as I want to end on some positive note, I'd be lying if I said I feel hopeful right now. What I can say is that where I'm from, we've never had the luxury of choosing to show up for the fight because because we know we can win the fight. This is one of the many, many things that David Brooks didn't understand in his little column about the march. When you're comfortable enough that you never have anything at stake in your political engagement, you can treat political engagement like a board game where you choose these pieces or those pieces. You can think that the right way to plan a protest is have a PR firm run focus groups on which issues are most market ready and then protest those issues. But some of us don't have that luxury. Some of us choose which issues to protest based on our future, our safety, our well-being, our lives being threatened by those issues. And if enough people don't yet care about these issues, we can't just switch to another issue that has a higher Q rating. We have to keep pushing on these issues. And the David Brookses of the world might never understand that, but right now we have to. So as this first week keeps bludgeoning onward, I'm trying to hold on to that lane we found on Saturday, where we keep showing up and being fully present where we are, looking for ways to stand by those whose lives are on the line.
there are some things that happened where I was like, okay, this is weird. And kind of, I guess, I guess in some ways kind of brought home to me, like, yes, this is a good starting point, but, um, you know, there's so much more we need to talk about when it comes to making sure that we live in a country that has like civil rights and that all people are, I guess, like all stories are seen and all struggles are understood. And, you know, I am for the women's, I, I am so for the women's rights movement and I'm so for women having equal rights, but also I think we need to open up dialogue and understanding that, you know, okay, if we want, all people to have equal rights. We need to talk about some uncomfortable truths and uncomfortable biases that are in our country and um, really have a dialogue about it and not sweep it under the rug, not pretend it doesn't exist, but really talk about those things. Um, So, and, you know, one, and, And in talking about that, um, yeah, there was, I think, like, one one event that happened while I was at the march that was really interesting that kind of brought that home was um, there was, you know, we were all marching in the the streets, um, and it was kind of like at the moment where, you know, police officers were trying to clear us out to, like, let the police bikes and the squad cars through, and, you know, they were telling us to make room for it. We were all complying and stuff. Um, but there was kind of, um, there, I think there was like a group of women as this was happening that were like shouting blue lives matter. And I think also in social media, there is a lot of a, um, kind of like glorifying, glorifying like the Oakland police department, glorifying the SFPD, which, and which I will say, I am happy for their services. I am not against police officers or anything like that. I will say that. Um, But I think also in some ways that was kind of as a person who supports the Black Lives Matter movement, that was kind of like a hurt, like, ow, like, ugh. Wait. Um, Moment for me. People in the Women's March saying Blue Lives Matter? Yeah, yeah. It was really weird. It was really weird. It was, it was, um, it was really weird. And it was funny because, you know, I I was with my, you know, I was with my girls. And so they were kind of, you know, they were supporting me and giving me strength and were being just like, you know, this is not okay. And they're like, do you want to leave? Like what, you know, and they were being supportive, but like, it was, it was very much kind of like, "Mm, can we not, can we, can we not do that right now? (laughs) Um, so, and that, and in light of that, that's why I'm saying there is, there still is, there are still things um, and issues that are separating us. And there, and like I said, um, there needs to be, I think there still are some blind spots. I, I think that's the best way to explain it. I think there are some blind spots when it Dude, comes to. Like, um, hashtag feminism is a blind spot. Shooting um, freaking, shouting Blue Lives Matter is uh, complete blindness. Right, right. You've had your eyes plucked out. Right, right. And so, right. So, um, you know, it was just kind of like, "Mm, no. So exactly. And that's why um, it 
like I said, like it was heartwarming to see like so many women from so many different walks. But at the same time with that, there still is a, um, I think, like I said, there still is like a, a blind spot of some, you know, of some population of the women where it's like, yes, thank you for coming out and showing up for women. But I, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of like, what do you expect, you know? With, with such a big turnout, yeah, there is going to be a population of women who are like, yes, I stand for women's rights, but at the same time, I still don't have an understanding or I still, you know, have feelings about Black Lives Matter. And I think, you know, that goes into the dialogue of, you know, I think after the Women's March, you know, people were celebrating the success of it. People were celebrating the fact that it was a nonviolent protest. And yes, it was a nonviolent protest, but also I think people need to look at, well, why was it a nonviolent protest? Um, because the police, didn't you know, snatch people off the street. Right. And it's because the police, it, it's because the group of people and the demographic of people um, weren't historic, aren't historically grouped as criminals. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, that, um, like, I've been really disappointed to see some of the people who were touting that. No arrests, no arrests. It was like, dude. Yeah, well, when fucking uh, Josh Sims or whatever, like, smokes weed in his car, he doesn't get arrested either. Like, not getting arrested doesn't mean not getting arrested. That you didn't do the same thing that someone else got arrested for. Exactly. And I think we need to start looking at that. And the fact that um, if the fact that if you are uh, of a certain color or a certain demographic that you're, I guess, I guess, like how you are perceived kind of like dictates how you are perceived or how you are seen, even if you are you know, acting in the way that you should, there is a problem with that. You know, it's like you know, let's look at instead of saying like, oh, we did this right. <laughs> That's why there weren't any arrests. Like, let's kind of look at like, oh, why are people being arrested? You know, or, you know, why are people being arrested? Why is there uh why is there a, a violent outcome when it comes to, you know, people protesting DAPL? or people protesting black, you know, or people protesting for black lives matter and stuff like that. There's, you know, let's, let's kind of look at it. It's time to look at some hard truths now, America. It's like, uh, we hope, did you see that sign that said, I hope I see all you nice white ladies. For the next oh my God. Yes. Yes. I, mean, I did. Holding it, but, still. but yeah, but it was, you know, it was funny. Like it was funny and it was really real, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and Some so of those nice white ladies needed to see that sign too. Right. You're right. You know, and, and, you know, I think it's time for some nice white ladies. Like I said, there, I think, um, I know like this, this was like a great feat and I think we did good, but like this, needs to this real I think people really need to understand that this really needs to be a beginning like um this is not the time to pat ourselves on the back for doing something and for showing up like you know this is like a pep rally before you actually go and play the football game right right and so I I I I really want to be like yeah like we don't we don't get to congratulate ourselves we don't get like we don't get cookies 
for, you know, showing up for something that we should show up for. This now needs to be like, okay, how, how, how else can we organize? How else can we show resistance? How else can we, you know, be allies for everyone in our community? And how else can we, how else can we really uh, show up and listen? That also is uh, one thing, because I think one issue that can be had is, you know, I think sometimes, and I even can be, I, you know, I even can be guilty of this. I think sometimes when um, you are, when it's called out that you might have privilege or that you are seeing things through a privileged viewpoint, yeah, sometimes you don't always want to hear it. Like, even with me, sometimes I don't always want to hear it. But like, you know, I think kind of framing the dialogue where, you know, oh, it's not my place to tell someone how they should feel about their own oppression, maybe I should listen rather than try to figure out all the reasons why they're wrong is kind of, um, it's kind of a good place to start. say DC probably got the most attention from Mm -hmm. national um, news media of the women's marches, but there were huge marches in cities Mm -hmm. across the United States, including in Philadelphia, and you were part of the Philly Women's March. Tell us what it was like to be part of it, to speak at it. What was the the experience like? That was pretty amazing because they estimated that uh, Philadelphia had about 50,000 people show up which is, you know, fantastic, right? It's one of the larger marches that they had. And, you know, knowing how they put everything together, I mean, many of the organizers, this was the first time they'd done anything like that. Um, And I thought it was really, really great to see people of all ages and, you know, racial backgrounds and class. I mean, there were so many men there as well. It It was pretty fantastic. And, you know, when I was asked to speak, you know, I was excited. I love doing stuff like that, you know, but kind of standing on the stage and just seeing how many people were there was like, it was pretty awesome. So what was the message that you personally were seeking to send by marching? You know, I, I, when I was speaking, because I I was speaking more than marching, I get a bit claustrophobic um, in those kinds of crowd situations. But one of the things I was talking about is, you know, basically this idea of intersectionality and how as women, you know, we have a lot of common experiences and a lot of common goals, but we also have to confront issues of like race bias, class issues, you know, um, trans identity, just all kinds of things, immigration status that we really have to kind of work on if we're really going to talk about true solidarity and so my messaging was really like like don't forget the women of color who have been feminists for a long time and have been marching like you know in philadelphia 20 years ago there was a march where there were 750,000 black women that came and in philadelphia and there's so many people who don't even remember that it happened so you know my messaging was like let's you know let's make sure that we are open and we are acknowledging everyone's efforts you know well, and since you raise that intersectionality, I mean, it actually it, it, it predicts 
my next question. I, I know that you're um, a mind reader, but in, in this one, you really are, because a huge part to me of one of the limitations of the ways that feminism is often portrayed or viewed is that it's it's about white women um, mm-hmm. or and in a related manner, as far as kind of siloing and limitation, it, it gets viewed as being only about so-called women's issues, whether that's mm-hmm. reproductive rights or pay equity or or other related kinds of fights. But there were a lot of issues underpinning the marches across the country. You mentioned just a a few of them Mm -hmm. now, but uh, also worth mentioning mass incarceration, disability rights, Mm -hmm. LGBT Mm -hmm. equality, health care, immigrant rights, Islamophobia, climate change. And all of these were being discussed and on a national stage as feminist issues. Does this speak to you uh, 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 as reflecting a big tent feminism? And if so, what is the significance of that, both for the narrowly and the broadly conceived women's issues of our time? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I, yeah, definitely. Sometimes when we talk about feminism, we'll write like white feminism with a little trademark after it because you know there has been this this image that you know feminism is only for white women. When there is enough research and evidence showing that feminism has existed among communities of color for you know all over the world for way longer than you know the, even the word was coined. And so it's like okay, so how do we model this idea of like you know gender? equity and, you know, those kinds of things in non-Western societies. And we need to look back and really kind of stop being ahistorical about that and, and look at the blueprints that like black women and native women and, you know, Latino women have, have set. And so I think that's important. But it's also, you know, what I've really, really loved in, in recent years, and I, I credit social media with that, is how people who have long been ignored uh, are now being heard in these kinds of spaces. So when you mention like disability advocates, you know, when I was at the Philly March, I was hearing women say, you know, where's the ADA seating? And they had, you know, um, a sign language, you know, interpreter there. Those kinds of things, I think it's because the like women are pushing and they're like, listen, no, we need to be included as well. And so we had, you know, trans women speaking there. It's like, they need to be included as well, you know, and, and we can't have, we can no longer have these tables where we're leaning in and having conversations about feminism, but when you're looking around the table, you're not representing all women. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of where we've gotten is that understanding that there is no feminism if all women are not included in this. And also getting the support of men and understanding how feminism benefits them as well. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of work being done around that. And some people that kind of taken that as their particular path. But I think all of that working together is really how we're going to form that solidarity we need to make sure that all of these issues affecting women are covered. You know, I think I think back to my years in, in college and um, to uh, women that I was in classes with or that I, I got to know in, in extracurricular activities outside the class. And I remember having uh, just so many incredibly frustrating and and disappointing conversations that I I didn't understand, certainly not at the time. And and to this day, I still don't really fully understand where women my age who who were um, progressive or liberal or um, they uh, and cared about issues uh, such as women's equality, uh, such as pay equity, reproductive justice. 
but who did not identify or want to be labeled as mm-hmm. feminists. There was mm-hmm. this aversion to that term. And, and sometimes um, they would actually uh, push back and say, well, I'm not a feminazi, a really disparaging and horrible term that sometimes gets thrown around. Um, right. It's awful. Do you feel like that it is changing and that the amazing outpouring of support and engagement for and with the women's marches across the globe reflects a change um, with with younger women, uh, millennial women coming up mm-hmm. who are prepared to identify with the F word. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've been really working on. And people ask me, you know, as a black woman, why don't you identify as womanist, which we know has been generally the term that black feminist women have used. And I said, well, you know, it's not that I don't associate or identify as a womanist, but I assert my right to call myself a feminist and a black feminist. And I I have the right to access feminism just like anybody else. And I know that there's been a lot of fear because the, the word feminism has been associated with white, upper class, cisgender, heterosexual, you know, rights movements. And so many people cannot connect with that. And so they've they've really pushed that back. But then there's people like me who are saying, no, 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 we have access to that as well. And I am a black feminist and I am a Chicana feminist and I am a millennial feminist and I am a queer feminist. And I think that we all have the right to kind of reclaim feminism for ourselves. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing, particularly among younger women. And I think also, again, I'm going to go back to social media, Rebecca, you know, the messaging and as we're able to get it out and the community that we're able to build in spaces like Twitter and Facebook are making, you know, more women feel comfortable really kind of fully embracing this. And and not just women, men as well. They're learning more. They're, they're, those stereotypes are being broken down. People are really seeing what feminist work is about. And they're like, you know what? I am for this. Forget the stuff that I've heard before. This is where it's at. And I think when you have folks like me and others who are quite outspoken about it, we're teaching people things. Minds are changing. And I think that's where the direction that we're moving in. We just heard clips today from Democracy Now! opening with a description of the march and playing America Ferreira's speech. The Real News Network interviewed marchers on the street in Baltimore. Backtalk from Bitch Media described why all oppressions are intertwined. A second Democracy Now! clip played highlights from many of the voices of women from the stage of the D.C. march. YouTuber Jay Smooth gave his thoughts on the experience of being in the march and what it meant. The Horcast interviewed Nikki Darling about the importance of listening to one another and being open to other perspectives. And finally, we just heard Talk Poverty Radio speaking with Michelle Taylor, one of the speakers at the Philadelphia March, give her take on the principles of feminism and how to push it forward. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now we'll hear from you. Hey, Jay, it's Alan, member from Connecticut, calling in, actually calling in from D.C. to um, just give an update. Attended the Women's March in D.C. yesterday. Quite an experience. Overwhelming, actually. Brought myself to tears many, many times. Not even sure that I can, not even sure as a college graduate that I have the educational resources to describe and write all that was there and all that experienced. My entire family was there, and actually we were right in the middle, right next to Planned Parenthood, 
and um, had to step away from the crowd because to get some food and bathrooms and so forth and stuff like that, which took literally two, two hours to get food from a food truck and go to the bathroom and then was able to make it back to finish and, and do the entire march to the mall where we finished up on the White House lawn or outside the mall lawn outside the White House by about five o'clock where there was still thousands and thousands of people marching and, and carrying signs. Just an overwhelming, wonderful experience. And, you know, if I can share that. So thank you. Stay awesome. Hi, Jay. This is Gary in D.C. Been listening to the show. Uh, first of all, I am a woman of color, and I really do appreciate all of the conversations you've been having about race. It's definitely been the most honest conversation I've heard um, white people have in a long time, and I think that's good. I have been concerned about this whole narrative of white working class people electing Trump. I think that's a smaller part of the picture, but it's convenient for people to focus on that. You know, when you remember that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, and also that Trump won the Electoral College with about the same amount of votes that Mitt Romney lost by. I think it's far more about the fact that people just did not vote, that enough people did not come out and vote, that did vote for Obama the first few times. And I think one of the pieces of this conversation on race that I'd like to see white people have is that it's not just white working class people who are attracted to Donald Trump's white supremacy and white racist views, that it is the middle class and upper middle class white Americans that did vote for Trump. Um, that that's the divide, this class divide between working class whites and upper class whites, that they can push it on lower class, working class whites. Because most of the working class whites I've encountered were smart enough to know that Trump wasn't going to do a damn thing for them. And I think if uh, middle class and upper middle class white folks can talk about white supremacy more openly and honestly, the whole conversation on race would go a lot further in America. Anyway, uh, keep up the good work, and uh, I'm glad you're doing it because as a woman of color, I don't have the energy. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or explanation of something so we all understand it better, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. First of all, I too was at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., and here's what I have to add to what has already been said about it. It, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. Marches generally flow like a river through a canyon. You know, they, they just, they follow their path. You have a mass of people. They have a pre-planned route and they march. This march was not like that. There, there were so many people. It was like the levees burst, you know, and the people flowed like a river that has met the Delta. The land has spread out and the people just flowed wherever there was space to flow. So the, the larger the space, like out on the mall, the more people were able to be spread out. And then on the streets, where it was more compact, the people were more compact and they flowed, as I said, like rivers from all different directions. So there was no one march. Uh, the, what we understand is that the march route was full of people before the march started. So there was no 
chance of marching along the route because if you took one step, you'd be at your destination as a group. And so people just began to flow it through all different streets across the mall, finding different routes and paths, just like water does. And it was, it was just a swirling mass of humanity. So there was a moment that I found my way to just slightly higher ground. I, I got to a little park area near the White House, got up on the wall and sort of was able to look down. And I could see that in the road in front of me, there were literally groups of people one marching in one direction on one side of the street and the other marching the other direction on the other side of the same street. And I thought at the time, this is just a beautiful, and and I say this without malice or criticism, but it's still true, that this is such a perfect metaphor for the progressive movement. We are here, we are angry, we are going to let you know about it, and we are all walking in different directions at the same time. It's not, it's not that I'm saying we need to be different than that. I don't think there's any chance of it anyway. Progressives have been disorganized and everyone walking in their own direction for decades or hundreds of years. That's just how we roll. Better to embrace it. Secondly, today, as I was making today's show, I was like, man, as a, you know, mid thirties white guy, what can I add to this conversation? What, what? can I impart onto the feminist movement and the progressive movement as we build uh, going forward in the Trump era? And then I thought, I've got it. I'm going to tell them what they should do. That's what white guys are great at. That's my special power. And I'm going to take a page out of the Republican playbook. Everyone knows Republicans love business. They love it so much. They think everything should be run like a business. Even things that have nothing to do with business aren't anything like a business, shouldn't be treated like a business, but they're like, no, that also should be like a business. Government, probably families, whatever, run like a business. And so apropos of nothing at all political, I came across this business concept that I'd probably heard of before, but forgotten about. And so if you work in a business, I, I, I've never worked in one of those like offices with cubicles or anything like that. Um, but many of you have, and you may have heard of this, the project postmortem. I, I just came across this in, a, in another, uh, like a newsletter I was reading and they were talking about it. Like I said, not in political terms, but just in constantly working to improve terms and, I thought that's, that's it. That's, that's what we need. This is how we should frame our conversations about the feminist movement, the progressive movement, this march in particular, the next march, the next action. And so the idea behind a project postmortem is when you've just done a project and you want to see what you did well, see what you can improve on, and then figure out what concrete steps you can take to make the next time better. And so, and those are the three questions to keep in mind. First is what went well. The second is what could have been better. And the third is what concrete steps will we take to become better for next time? And if you notice, all three of those questions are framed positively. It allows a lot of room for criticism and remarking on things that went wrong, but you can do it in a positive way. And the way, the reason they do this in business, because business, you know, they're trying to make their company more efficient and make more money and all of that. And I think we have a, a, a more worthwhile goal than that in our movements. The point is people work better that way. They communicate better 
when you communicate positively, when you're communicating with criticism and here's where you fucked up and this is what you did wrong and this is what you should have done instead, it just isn't received as well. And so if you want to create a better conversation and still fight for you know huge substantive improvements within our movement and how to push the movement forward, I think, even though I'm joking about being a jackass about it, I think I'm serious about this advice, whether you're with your friends, colleagues, uh, acquaintances, or you're actually at a meeting, working with a group, trying to put together a big movement or, or a rally or anything like that. I think that these questions may be actually genuinely valuable for how to construct your conversation in a way that brings people in, keeps the focus positive, and still pushes for good and positive change. And finally, as I was pulling my thoughts together about all that, I could not help but be reminded of this old 2007 article from The Onion titled, Man Finally Put in Charge of Struggling Feminist Movement. And it tells the story of Peter Buck McGowan, who took over as the nation's top feminist. And one paragraph about it says, quote, all the feminist movement needed to do was bring on someone who had the balls to do something about this glass ceiling business, said McGowan, who quickly closed the 23.5% gender wage gap by making a few calls to the big boys upstairs. In a world of gender identity and empowered female sexuality, it's all about who you know, unquote. So if you ladies out there need any more advice on how to run your movement, you know where to reach me. Keep the comments coming in at 202-999-3991. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we're putting out there. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode. All that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained So